Amen. Isn't God good? Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Come on, why don't we lift up our hands and give God some high praise. Lift up your voice and give God some high praise. It's good to be up here in the sunny northwest with all of you folks. And uh, I made a just a horrible mistake when I left home this morning. I looked out on the weather and thought, oh, it's going to be fine. And flew all this way up here and got into Seattle for my layover. And they said, oh, it's snowing in Spokane. And that's when I realized my shirt wasn't very thick. My jacket's really good, but it's at home, so um, it's good to be with you all and, of course, to be with our good friends, the Mayos, and we love them very much and love uh, Cornerstone and the opportunities to come and preach and be here and, and uh, so many uh, friends and acquaintances in the congregation tonight. I won't start uh, greeting because I'm sure to leave somebody out. We don't want anybody offended this early in the service. But um, I would just say that it's good to be with you all, and I'm looking forward to what God's going to do this week. I have the distinct privilege of being the first preacher, so hopefully by the end of the night you'll forget what I said, and uh, we'll move on. So I am uh, I'm here tonight to, uh, to do my best to try to set the stage for this service. Through much prayer and seeking God, I feel like I do have direction tonight, and if you have your Bibles, I will dispense with all the, the kind remarks and move right into the Word of the Lord, because I realize that um, we do have another very competent, capable preacher of the gospel coming. And so tonight, if you have your Bible, let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 2, the book of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to read a few verses out of this text tonight, and then do my best to preach what I feel the Holy Ghost would say to us. What a great crowd for the first night tonight. God bless you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, it says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For God, or for the Lord God, had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. I would like to draw your attention to the fifth verse in our reading tonight. If you would, it simply said, Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain 
on the earth. And here was the explanation. For there was no man to till the ground. And God had not given a rain because there was no man. I want to preach from this simple little thought for a few minutes tonight and with the help of the Holy Ghost to set our minds and our attentions in the direction that He would take us this week. I want to simply preach from this thought, the seed, the seed. Amen. I'm asking you one more time if you would be so kind to set your Bibles aside, lift up your hands, lift up your voice. And would you pray that God would anoint the remainder of this service? Let's pray that God would move upon our neighbors, upon our hearts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We love you, God. We believe you tonight, God, for great things. Wonderful things, God. Marvelous things, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I, I won't get into all of this tonight that we could get into regarding the creation and everything that takes place is God puts his hand upon the earth and begins to exercise, if you would, his will upon his planet. I could talk about the fact tonight that when he found it, the Bible said that it was without form and it was void and that waters covered the face of the deep. The earth had a lot of potential, but nothing of substance was coming out of its being until his spirit moved and until his word spoke. And, and I could preach probably there for the rest of the night as God's spirit began to move and his word began to work in the midst of chaos. And so things begin to take place. But the premise of creation is potential. It's, it's not just that God took something that was destroyed and recreated or created. It was that God saw something that no one else or nothing else could ever see. He looked at something that, that if we were to encounter like situations in our life, we would probably and most likely very quickly move beyond it because it has no value to us. But God in His sovereignty, He looks at things that are by our standards of measurement. They have no value. And He sees within them the potential for greatness. And when He does, He begins to move upon them. And he begins to work in them. Time would not permit us to go even in this congregation tonight and say, how many of you did God bring from the lowest of lows and from the places where people had given up on you, where people said you had no more potential? How many of us tonight are saved and our families had given up on us? How many of us are in the house of the Lord tonight in our right minds and we're in the right place because... God didn't look at what we were, but he saw what we could be. I'm thankful that God didn't just look at my condition, but he looked at my potential tonight. And so we see that God, 
He views things from the position of potential. And when God sees things, it's hard for us in our finite mind to, to recognize the way that God works, and I don't claim to, but let me say that He doesn't look at things the way that we do. He looks at its potential, and when He sees it, He already has a plan, and He already has a process. And so God goes to work upon things, and God begins to move. But in all of that, God has certain elements that he wants to include in his process. And he will not move past those principles. He will not move past those principles. And when God spoke the worlds into existence, when God spoke his will and his plan, I believe that you can... Your pastor can straighten it out later. This is me. This is not you. But I'm just telling you where I come from. I believe that when God created the earth, it does not or did not look exactly as we see it now. Because I do not believe that he created 100-foot giant sequoias. I believe that when God created the earth, he put a seed in the ground. And he said, that's going to be a tree. Now, I know we could argue about it, but let me just give you a little proof in the pudding tonight. Because when God saved us, we weren't where we are today. But God saw something in us. God recognized something in us. And what could be began because God put a seed of potential in our life. Now, I, I want to say tonight that God doesn't do things to show off or to demonstrate. God's not, he's not a magician. He's not, he's not a showman. When God does something, it's because he has purpose. It's because he has a plan. He's not just wandering around doing little tricks. He has a reason for what he's doing. I, I could stop here and tell you that when God saved you, it wasn't just so he could have another soul to save. God saved you because he has a plan for your life. He has a reason for where you are. Amen. God's got a plan for you. I said, God's got a plan for you. God's got a reason for what he did in your life. And when God, when God creates, God cares about what he creates. Not only does he care about its origins, but he cares about its endings. He cares about its middle. He cares about every part of it. And so when God begins to work, he, he says, I want to do but I need some help in the process of doing. I want you to bear with me for just a few more minutes tonight. Because when God, he, he speaks things into existence and yet they are not because there's a hinge point in all of creation. And the hinge point was revealed to us in the fifth verse of my text. God wanted to do things, but he wouldn't do it until he had a man. Don't ever think for a second and I may get into this a little bit more in just a few minutes, that God's going to come down and just magically do some things without our involvement. I, I, I won't, like I said, I won't get off, but we need to quit sitting around waiting on God to do everything. I'll preach about it, but quit sitting around your church waiting on revival. Come on, quit sitting around your life waiting on some breakthroughs. 
God's already raised up a man for the miracle. And so God chooses not to release the potential until he had a man. Now, I, again, the Bible's full of it, but just let me touch on a little bit about the interactive relationship between God and man. There's always been a connection. I don't understand why, because God doesn't need us, but God chose us. He said, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. God doesn't need us. He wants us. Thank God he loves us enough. He's slowing the train down for some of us to keep up. So don't be so hard on the people behind you. Don't be so hard on the people that are not running at your pace. Come on, why don't you stop and pick them up? Because God's waiting on all of us. I said God's waiting on all of us. Reach down and pick somebody up on your pathway to doing what God called you to do. The interactive relationship when, when God begins to do things in his divine plan and will, he chooses to bring people into it in order for it to become reality. The need for God to have people still exists today. He didn't do away with it with Adam. He started it with Adam. Bear with me for just a little bit. When, when, when we look at all of this, we, we understand that God will reveal, but man must fulfill what God has revealed. God will show you, but now you got to go do what God showed you. Because until you do it, what he showed you will never become reality. I, 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 pardon me for the personal reference tonight. And I tell this often at home. If I knew your story, I would tell yours. But I don't know yours. I only know mine. But, but in 1996, and I hope I don't offend anybody from what I'm about to say. And if it makes you feel any better, I'm not good at it. But uh, I went to play golf, and, uh, and I went to this, this city not far outside of San Jose because I would go every Monday with some men in our church, and, and we would go golfing. And, uh, and that's just what we did. And on this one, this one Monday morning, I was sitting in the back seat, and they were driving, and I was kind of in a Pentecostal hangover state. And I was just kind of zoned out. We drove into the city where we were going to play golf, and as we drove in, all of a sudden, out of my fog, the veil of life lifted. And I began to see things with clarity in the spirit. I had never had this experience before. I had wanted this experience, but never had it. And suddenly, as we drove through the city, I saw on the sidewalks people walking, conducting business, cars driving. But I didn't see cars. I didn't just see people. I saw souls. And I saw people that needed the gospel. And I saw people that needed a preacher. And my spirit was stirred in me. And I said to the two guys in front of me, both of them who desired to be in the ministry, I said, somebody needs to come to this city and start a church. There's a revival in this city. 
I will tell you, it was probably one of the worst days of golf I've ever had because every time I got on the tee box, all I could think about was there's a revival in this city and I, was sh- I couldn't hardly afford to play golf for losing balls left and right because all I could think, I'm telling you that God showed me something but it wasn't enough for me to walk around and say, God showed me something. God- oh, we're too hung up on what God's showing us. God's showing you something for a reason. God's revealing things to you for a reason. Get up and do something about it. I went home that night. I couldn't get away from it. It worked on me for months. So I did what I would have done, what anybody should. I went to my pastor and said, this is what I'm feeling. Would you pray with me about it? I need to know if this is God or just me. And we got to praying about it. He came back to me. He said, go and see what you can do. I went in that city and I began to try to find something. I saw something, but God still needed a man. God had a plan, but he needed a man. And I'm telling you that years later, when I resigned that church, it was established. There were people in it. I don't have time to tell you the testimonies. I don't have time to tell you the knocks on our door when people walked up to our house and said, is this where the Bible study is? Oh, I I don't, I want to preach tonight to some of you. You're waiting on God and God's waiting on you. We're sitting around praying for God to do things and God's saying, I've already empowered you to do them. Why don't you get up and go do them? Hey, he gave us the power, but he's not laying his hands on the sick. The church is going to lay its hands on the sick. This engagement between God's divine plan and humanity cannot be ignored any longer. Let me tell you how it works. When God looked down in his creation and he saw that there was no way of redeeming them and he repented that he made them, that he had ever made them and he said, I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to do a holy purging on this earth. He needed a man. And so Noah found grace in the eyes of God. But before God will ever bring judgment, he will always bring salvation as a first option. And so Noah worked 120 years and he preached salvation and he built an ark for salvation and he gathered the animals for salvation and he gathered his family for salvation and so we see the seed of something being planted and as the waters rose and the earth died, God established the seed of water baptism as being the death to sin and today when you want to look at that tree, we know it is Jesus' name, baptism which is given to us for the remission of our sins but it all took a man I don't have time to tell you about Moses but all I can tell you is that Moses is in captivity until God called a man Moses led Israel out because God's plan involved leaving Egypt but he needed a man God still needs a man God still needs a man. Are you ready? It goes even further. God had a plan. He had executed everything. He came. He paid the price. He laid it all in place. And when they all went in the upper room, the Holy Ghost was given. But only on 120. But when 3,000 gathered around and said, what meaneth this? God needed a man. 
and Peter stood up with the 11 and the seeds of Pentecost were launched with a 3,000 soul revival. I'm preaching to you right now that God wants to do something great in these days. God wants to move in your life in in ways that we can't even talk about. But he needs an interactive relationship. He needs the church to get off off of his pew. He needs the people to get engaged and do something about the call of God. Hey, I just want to present to you something. I believe that the day of Pentecost was the seeds of where we are now. I want you to think about how big that seed is. And then tell me it's the will of God. I don't want to pick on anybody tonight, all right? But I want to challenge you. We're too easily satisfied. The minute things get tilted in our way a little bit, we get just a little bit better than our neighbor. We stop because as long as we're ahead of them, we're good to go. Well, it's like one preacher said, it's it's tight, but it's right. We need to realize how big this thing really is. Listen, it's bigger than me and it's bigger than you. It's so big it's for you and for your children and for your children's children. And for all those that are far off, even as the many as even as many as our Lord shall call, it's that big. Can somebody work this seed for a little bit? Can somebody get out there and work this promise for just a little bit? Let me challenge you today. Let me challenge your thoughts. Let me challenge your plans. Let me challenge all of your imaginations. Whatever you think. Whatever you ask, whatever's in your heart, he can do more. Because the potential for Pentecost is so vast. I, I know this may not be what you intended or, or even thought you were going to hear, but it's really what we kind of need to hear right now because we need a little ignition. We don't need any more inspiration. We come to church, we just want somebody to make a shout. But God wants to come to church and he wants to get us up so when we go out, we're doing something about what we heard preached in the house. Hey, I'm here to get some of you ignited, not inspired. I want to fire up your faith. I want you to get radical in God and say, hey, I'm starting to see just a little bit of what my God can do if I just give myself to him. Just a little bit. God has big plans for our church. I said he has big plans for our churches. I contend that there are many, many great things lying dormant in our lives tonight. Because we are wanting to look but not tend to things. We like to shout over the picture. Well, let me just put it to you like this. Too many of us own the tool shed and not the field. Too many of us have got a collection of tools we gathered at all the conferences. But we don't have anything but an apartment balcony. Hey, I'm trying to get some of you to buy your field tonight. You've got enough tools. You don't need another message. You've got enough right now. I know you're going to be blessed this week. But you can get up and go do something for God right now. Quit 
Quit buying a shed and start buying a field. Quit buying a little corner and why don't you just buy the big dream with me? Everyone say big things. Come on, I got to hold my front row, amen, corner. How about all of you up here? Everybody say big things. I'm a pastor. I've pastored a few and I've pastored a few more. And I'm not intimidated by the size of the crowd. And typically when the smaller, they get smaller, we get more nervous. That just kind of ignites me. So I'm going to make you act like my church tonight. You have to repeat after me. Everybody say big things. Come on, everybody shout big things. Now why don't you put this in front of it. God wants to do. God wants to do them through me. Big things. Big things. Come on, let your faith go a little bit. I know I'm not putting details in the picture, but you got to believe God wants to do it before he can ever show you what he wants to do. Let your faith go. I don't care if your church is small. Let your faith go. It doesn't matter if you're the only one. Get up on your feet every time you have church and say that's the best message you've ever preached, Pastor. That's the greatest word I've ever heard. Big things. I'm taking care of my seed. I'm taking care of my seed. God didn't call me to take care of your seed. He called me to take care of my seed. I'm taking care of my seed. Only I really know the things that God has promised me. You don't know them. So if you see me acting just a little bit crazy, don't judge me. You don't know what my seed looks like. God has plans for his church. Let me just encourage you for a little bit. Keep working your fields. Don't give up now. God doesn't sell burnt over fields. I said God doesn't sell burnt over fields. Your city's not burnt over. Oh, I'm going to preach. I was in prayer today and God spoke to me. Your field's not burnt over. Your church is not washed up. Your city's not bound up. Hey, let me let some of you in on a little secret. The devil doesn't make the rules. He plays by the rules. Your city's not burnt over. Your church is not dead. It's only as dead as you let it be. It's your seed. Get out your tears and water it. Get out your faith and plant it deep. God doesn't sell burnt over fields. Have revival. Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, specifically chapter 18, Paul comes to the city of Corinth. You read carefully the story and you find that Paul is probably not what we would refer to as being on his A game. Paul's a little bit tired. He's a little bit discouraged. Go back a little bit and you'll find out why. Because preceding Corinth was Athens. Athens was Thessalonica. Let's just review Paul's last three revivals. Thessalonica, he preached, and he was driven out in the night. Berea, he preached, and nothing happened.
Athens, he preached, and we all quote his message. Statue to the unknown God. We all talk about it. Oh, he's not far from any one of you. But we fail to remember that when he finished the message, they laughed him out of town. Paul doesn't stagger into Corinth. Paul crawls into Corinth because he's already listed his history of prices he's paid for the gospel. He's been beaten with rods. He's been stoned and left for dead. He's been shipwrecked. He's been hungry. He's been thirsty. He's been persecuted by the sinner, persecuted by the saint. So don't rush to judgment on Paul. Paul gets to Corinth, goes about what, he've all, what he's always done. He goes and starts preaching. But again, the fourth revival in a row, things are locked up. Are you ready? Mission support is not there anymore. Because now Paul's broke, so he takes a job making tents. Nothing wrong with taking a job to do the work of God. I've done it. He gets a job making tents. And he preaches, but they're not excited about his message. He goes to the Gentiles. Well, Paul is, he is at this point in his ministry. A lot of people don't want to admit this, but if you read it carefully, you'll find he is one foot in and one foot out. Not on God, but he's very apprehensive because of previous disappointments. Am I preaching to anybody right now? You want to believe, but you've been let down before. You, you've heard this kind of sermon and you're trying to be behind it, but the other side of the equation is what happens when I get home? You, you got one foot in and you got one foot out. And, and you want to go forward, but you're afraid that that foot's going to lead you to failure and you're going to get hurt again. And so you stand here and the preacher says your seed of revival is out there, go work it. But you've got all kinds of issues. You don't know what to do. And Paul doesn't either. But Paul continues to do what he knows to do. I don't have time to preach at all. But Paul never stopped doing what he was supposed to do. And when he was in the middle, oh, and just let me tell you something. Don't despise the day of small things. And don't ever give up doing what God told you to do. And, and when you don't know what to do and you're in the midst of an empty field and there's nothing around and you don't know what to be, what is to be done, all you need to do is back up to the last place God spoke to you and remember the last thing he said and then keep on doing the last thing that God told you to do. And if you don't know how to touch God because you pray and the heavens are brass, then just keep on praying because he's not talking to you, but he knows you're talking to him. He hears every word. And if he said, keep on praying then keep on praying and if he said keep on reaching then keep on reaching and be faithful and be faithful and be faithful and be faithful because God has a plan for your life so Paul's at this place this, this pivotal point in time of, of ministry and life he doesn't know what to do he doesn't know how to do it and he's, he's asleep and God gives him a vision and it doesn't mean anything to us. We read it now, and it's kind of obscure. And he says, Paul, preach. Don't hold your peace. You preach it like you've always preached it. I know you're discouraged, but don't change your message now, Paul. 
I want to preach to that a little bit. I know you've been preaching this message for a long time and things are not going the way that you want them to. But don't change your message now. Don't hold your peace now. Preacher, get back in the pulpit and preach it again. Sunday school teacher, teach it again. Come on, worship singer, sing it again. Prayer warrior, pray it again. Don't hold your peace. Don't get bound up. Paul, don't hold your peace. Preach! Hey, and by the way, don't be afraid either. Because here's the thing, Paul. I've left you hanging out. Woo, I feel something in the Holy Ghost. I've left you hanging out before. And I've let you go through some valleys. Hey, let me just tell you something while I'm preaching about this. There comes a time and place when God says, enough. No, no, I'm not talking about your ministry. I'm talking about what your adversary is doing to you. There comes a point in time when God says, period, the end. Don't touch him. Don't talk to him. Don't fight him. Hey, Paul, preach and don't hold your peace. And don't be afraid, Paul, because I put a period at the end of your persecution. No man's going to set on you to hurt you. You're going to preach the gospel without being afraid of being assaulted. I want you to preach it. I want you to preach it. I want you to work it. I want you to get in your field. I want you to dig around your seed. I want you to water it with your tears. Because, because, Paul, I have, I have many seeds in this city. I have much people, Paul. I've got it. You go down and you do it phrase by phrase, word by word, and break it down. And basically this means when he said, I have, he said, there is to me many people in this city. There are people that I have already visited with. There are hearts I've already softened up. There are homes I've already been taking up residence in. I've got people that are just waiting on a preacher. How can they hear except they have a preacher, Paul? Preach. Even when you're weary, preach. Because there comes a point, oh, I feel something right now. I don't want to get out of my time or get out of my rail. But I'm here to tell some of you, quit being afraid of your adversary. And just get back out there and do what God called you to do. Because God's probably putting a period at the end of your torment right now. Preach. Paul's in a place of weariness and fear. Anybody relate to that? Paul's in a place of uncertainty and isolation. He's becoming desperate, but God's got a revival in Corinth. Paul, I've planted seeds here, son. Don't stop working the field yet. Time goes on. I don't have time to preach everything that I, I would feel, but let me just tell you this simply. God takes Paul and pulls back the surface dirt of the city. It says, Paul, look. What's under the surface? What you can't see? I've got seeds. So Paul, I still need a man. I, I could call anybody. 
but I called you. I wish we could get that revelation. I could touch anybody, but I touched you. I could lay that burden on anybody, but I laid it on you. I, I, could, I, I could move on anybody, but I moved on you. You are my man for my city. Would you work? Would you work for me? I want to bring it to a conclusion by just simply sharing with you some things that God has laid in my heart in the last year or so concerning my life, but also I think also it applies to many of us today. The enemy wants to keep churches in stagnation. He wants to enslave us to stagnation. He wants us to think that the things of God are circular and it's just the old wheel that the rat runs on. And so you just keep showing up. Hey, God bless you. You're faithful. And don't ever take that for granted. But the enemy wants you to believe that this is just the way it's got to always be. And because of our lack of understanding, it's caused us to entangle ourselves in some destructive apostolic cycles and even mindsets. They're not God's plan for our lives. The enemy's trying to, he's tried to promote the idea that the work that we're called to do requires some supernatural component that only God can provide. But I contend that there is a supernatural component, but the supernatural component is our faith that causes us to get up and take ownership of every promise in God's word. Hey, you want a supernatural move of God? Get up and be supernatural in your faith because faith without works is dead. Do something. Listen. Many people want deliverance from the circumstance or their condition. But they don't want to be delivered from the mindset that they're in. I said we want to be delivered from our circumstance or our condition. But we don't want to be delivered from our mindset. I want you to change what's going on out here, God. I don't want you to change what's going on in here. I want you to bring me some help. I don't want to help myself. We need, we need metanoia. It's a Greek word for repentance. It's simply translated a mind shift. We need an apostolic mind shift. There's something supernatural about a mind shift because it opens your eyes to see things you never saw before. The prophet was in his house waking it up and the servants looking out the window and the place is surrounded with the enemy. He's in a panic. What do I do? What do I do? The prophet just looks at him and says, you need metanoia. You need a mind shift. Lord, open his eyes. And when he looks back out now, he sees that they're surrounded, not by the adversary, but they're surrounded by the forces of heaven. Hey, you don't need something different. You need to be different. You don't need more help. You need to be help. Oh, God's raising up a church. 
that has a little radical faith that says, I'm not looking on a man. I found a man. I'm not looking on a helping hand. I've got a helping hand. I can reach down and pick somebody else up. You want your circumstances to change? Then change. Change. I appreciate that, but I'm not going to let you talk me into going where I shouldn't go. We need a, we need a fresh baptism of apostolic identity. There are more for us than could ever be against us. Because the army that's behind us was never intended to be fellow men. It was always intended to be God working with us so that we could help other men. Quit waiting on a crowd and start a revival in your spirit. Everyone shout, the seed is mine. Come on, say it like you believe it. The seed is mine. Come on, the seed is mine. The city is mine. My family is mine. Oh, I'm going to work my seed. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, and I'm closing. Paul told the church, he said, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed. I, I, I'm not real big on a bunch of translations, but occasionally I've been known to read different translations just to get a little different perspective. My perspective on some of them is that they need to go rewrite them. But I found a good one here, and I don't claim to be a theologian. That's just my humble opinion. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Stop being molded by the external and fleeting fashions of this age, but undergo a deep inner change by the qualitative renewing of your mind. I know some that say, God, I want you to touch me. What we need to say is, God, I want you to touch me right here. Right here. Because, God, I can't even think the way you want me to think. I need you to touch me here. 1 Peter 1 and 14 says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. The word fashioning means to be conformed to the same pattern. Quit letting the adversary tell you what we should look like. 